Well, Paul starts out with this incredibly long sentence. He would have flunked English grammar for sure. But in verse 3 to verse 14, he is pouring it on, saying, you are so blessed. Do you have any idea how blessed you as believers are? I don't think so. I'm going to unravel it a little bit. Now, all of it's in Christ. This word in is repeatedly in Jesus, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. All these blessings come because we are now in Christ. And, and somebody said it this way. I, I loved it. We, he blessed us immensely. He chose us unconditionally. He adopted us adorningly. He redeemed us graciously. He forgave us completely. He showed his grace lavishly. He revealed his mystery wisely. He granted us inheritance eternally. He sealed us permanently and guaranteed our salvation personally. All these things are the glorious gospel. This is the good news we have to share to the world. Come unto Christ. He'll seal you with the Holy Spirit. Come unto Christ. Not only will you have eternal life, but he'll adopt you as his own child. Come unto Christ. Not only will you have heaven, but Jesus the Son is going to give you of his inheritance. He's going to share it with you as fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Come unto Christ. He's going to forgive you completely. You'll be without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. He himself will guarantee it as your husband. He'll wash you daily and keep you ready for the rapture of the church. He will do it by his power because he is your husband who loves you. And um, this grace is above anything we can imagine. Of his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Our hearts should be full after studying these verses. And Paul now says, let's pray these blessings upon one another and upon ourselves and into our own lives. Realizing how rich we are. Now let's pray in the will of God and receive, live, experience these blessings. So, boy, the prayers that Paul gives us in his epistles are awesome. They really teach us how to pray. And we actually have two of them in the book of Ephesians. We've got this one here, verse 15 to 23. And then we have another one, chapter 3, verse 14 to 19. Today, we're going to see these three major points in the prayer. God's calling of us, God's inheritance in us, and God's power for us. In verse 15, faith and love are the marks of a true believer. He says this, Therefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I heard of your faith. Now, Paul talked about this repeatedly. All this, this door was unlocked into Christ when you had faith and you believed in him. Remember back in verse 12 and 13, he said that he, we who first trusted in Christ, in verse 13, who first trusted after we heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom having believed, 
you were then sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna get to second Ephesians 2, 8. By grace, you've been saved, how? Through faith. Faith in the grace. Faith that God loves you. Yeah, just to let you know, if you get too cold over here, move into the sun. If you're too hot in the sun, move. Move around, move around. Okay, it's, it's quite all right. We're just like the Sea of Galilee. We got shepherds walking by with sheep over here. We have ladies over here fishing in the Sea of Galilee. You guys who are at social media can't see all this, but it's just like uh, being by the Sea of Galilee here. So move around, no problem. So, um, yeah, we have faith in the grace. Do you, can you believe God loves you? Can you believe that God who is merciful also has to be a God perfect in justice? You can't, you can't have mercy without justice. You can't have love without a judge who judges righteously. You guys, you guys get that, right? And so God is a perfect judge and he's gonna judge all things exactly the way you would imagine them. We've been made in his image. Evil's gonna be evil, good's gonna be good. And we are sinners and we know how we're gonna be judged. We're gonna be judged with the evil. We're gonna be judged perfectly righteously by a holy God. And the wages of our sin is gonna end up being death, damnation, eternal separation from God. It's a guaranteed fact. So Jesus took all our sins upon himself and paid for our sin. The rejection we should have received on the day of judgment, Jesus received on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He paid for the penalty of our sin that he could give us as a gift his righteousness. Do you believe in a God who would send his son? Do you believe in a son who made all things and made you and me in his image loves you that much that he would come into human flesh and pay for your sins, that you as a gift can be righteous as he is righteous. Yes, I, I believe that. He's made us in his image. And I love my kids. Man, there's just, I, 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 there's nothing I would do for them. And it really, to be honest with you, after I got grandkids, I realized I don't really love my kids. I really love my grandkids. <laughs> I tolerated my kids so I could get grandkids. <laughs> now I love my grandkids. Nothing I wouldn't do for them. It says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, listen to this. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Hmm. We have peace with God. How? through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and burial and resurrection, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace, this infinite flow of grace, grace upon grace, which we now stand in. I'm going to heaven, not because I'm righteous. I am still not. Although he counts me as righteous and the father sees me through the lens of his son, Jesus, and sees me perfectly righteous as he is righteous positionally day in, day out. I'm telling you, I'm daily falling short of the glory of God. Daily, I am angry. Daily, I lust. Daily, there's greed. Daily, there, there's frustration and cursing in my mouth and anger in my heart and bitterness that I fight towards people. And I realize, like Paul said, there's no good thing that dwells in this flesh. But I stand in the grace and I say, even though God 
in my human flesh, I am so weak. Things I don't want to do, I do. Things I do want to do, I don't do. Thanks be through Christ Jesus, of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. So now we stand in that grace. We have faith that God loves us and through Christ he died and buried and rose again. And now we have this infinite grace. We come boldly through the throne room of grace and receive all the grace and mercy we need. And now we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now what happens when you are there? And all your hope is in God's glory in heaven, not on this earth. I'm not trying to get a mansion here and a mansion up there. I'm not trying to get eternal life here and eternal life there. This life, we're pilgrims and strangers. Life is but a vapor of time and we're out of here. Our hope is not here. Our hope is in eternity in heaven. What happens when we have that kind of faith? We're standing in that kind of grace. We have joy in Jesus and we know Jesus has joy in us. God's spirit fills us up. We talked about that. The moment we believe his Holy Spirit seals us, but then we have love. Faith comes with love. Love comes with faith. When you have true faith, you'll have a life full of love. When you're walking in love, it's because you've got your eyes on Jesus and you're walking by faith in him. So notice there in Romans 5, 5, when he's talking about love for all the saints, he said, you got faith and you got love. But read on in Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint. So we're walking by faith in his grace. We have just an infinite amount of hope. And that hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do we, do we get this? You see, Christians in Rome are walking around struggling with their flesh. This is what we get as you read the book of Romans. These guys are struggling. And you know what Paul says to them? I don't understand it. I've been walking righteously for 20 years. I don't understand anybody struggling. Is that what Paul says in Romans? <laughs> Quite the opposite, doesn't he? They were probably very comforted to hear Paul say, me too. But Paul, you just seem so confident. I do seem confident because of I have faith in the grace. And God's spirit is in me. I am sealed by his Holy Spirit. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He will be with me always till the end of the age. He who sealed me with this Holy Spirit is guaranteed. He began the good work, which also means the Holy Spirit will be in me till I'm in my new body. And he'll finish that good work. That's why I have this hope. That's why I have this love. That's why I have this joy because I have faith in Jesus. And this is where you should be also. But Paul, do you struggle like I struggle? Oh, I think so. We're all the same stuff, right? No sin that's not common to all men. Let me ask you, things you don't wanna do, you do. Things you do wanna do, you don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Do you feel that way? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, yeah, I'm there. First, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You're his child. He's going to love you to the end. He's going to hold you onto you. You're his sheep. As a shepherd, he takes responsibility. So the love of God, he says, oh, I've been praying for you guys because I, I have this confidence 
that your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Now I can tell you I've never loved all the saints. I want to love all the saints. But some are lovable and some you want to kill, right? Let's just be honest. Not everybody is equal to love. But Paul is saying, you guys have been known to love the most unloving ones amongst you. Jesus said this, didn't he? John 13, 35. And this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, a lot of times people read this and they say, oh, you love non-Christians. You love the world, people in the world. That's not what he says here, is it? The world will look on you by some misfit Christians. You guys, there's not many mighty amongst you, not many honorable amongst you, not many noble amongst you. As I'm looking at the crowd, it looks like God's chosen the weak things, the base things. It's like he, he, he chose the lowest possible common denominator and let you guys in the door. I'm sort of waiting for you guys to kill each other. But what does he say? No. They're not only not killing each other, they're loving each other and they're growing in Christ and, and the dishonorable are becoming honorable. The weak are becoming strong. The, the cowards and, the, and those with not a very great character are becoming amazing and godliness and character. And they're saying, wow, truly God is in the midst of them. Have you noticed this, that God puts non-Christians and Christians into your life that are not lovable to help you grow in love, to help test you? Have you noticed that? My, my wife noticed that on the day we were married. She's like, God, why? But God puts people in our life. To just We just literally are going, God... Somebody's going to die here if you don't help me. Help me. And God does it. He starts changing our heart, changing our mind. And we literally start loving the most irritating. We start loving the most loving. Paul says to the Galatian church on this point, if we live in the Spirit, in other words, God's Spirit is in our lives. I am. I'm born again. God's Spirit's in my life. Then he says in Galatians 5.25, so let us walk in the Spirit then. God's Spirit's in you. His love is shut abroad. It's just pouring out. It's, a, it's, a, it's this giant source of the river like a gushing dam coming out of your life. Let it flow. Let it flow. What's it going to look like? Galatians 5.22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love. God's Spirit is in our life. That's it. One fruit, love. What does love of God, what's the agape love of Christ look like? We, we, because we've been raised in movies and TV shows and Hollywood, we, we have this weird thing of the feeling of romance. You know, we just have these, the, the, the movies, you know, whether it's old movies like Old Yeller, that's a dog who died, or Where the Red Fern Grows. These shows, they just create such emotion in the movie. 
And then at the end of the movie, you're just walking away going, oh my gosh, my feelings are so amazing right now through that love story or through the, you know, the difficulty and then the, the happy ending. And we are just so overwhelmed with our feelings that we've attached love to feelings so greatly that when we don't have those Hollywood overwhelming feelings, we feel like we don't love anymore. I've had so many people say, yeah, we got to get divorced. We just don't love each other. We haven't for years. It's like, yeah, it's great. It's great when, when feelings are in line, but if they're not in line, so what? It doesn't matter. I feel like worshiping. I don't feel like worshiping. Guess what? It looks the same. <laughs> because God's worthy to be praised. It doesn't matter how I'm feeling in my human body. He's worthy to be praised. He said, clap my hands. He said, shout to the Lord. He said, sing with my whole heart. It doesn't matter how I feel. I love it when I feel it. Oh, I can't wait to worship God. Oh, I get to church. Oh, it's such a great feeling. Most of the time, it's not that way. Most of the time, the people you're with on a regular basis, you don't feel like you love them. You know, I can't remember who it says, but, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. Seeing the same people every day sort of, grates on you wears on you but the spirit of God is in us the love's in us what's it look like looks like joy and peace patience or long suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control all of that is in you like a torrent of water springing forth let the love of God, if God's love is in you, you, well, I am born again, God's spirit lives in me, then there is a torrent. Unplug it, man. Let God's spirit just flood with his joy and his peace and his patience. You want to be a light to the world? Be that person genuinely full of joy because you got your eyes on Jesus. You're loving your enemy because that's what Jesus would do. I personally want to kill you. Jesus wants to, me to pray for you and bless you, and hug you, and greet you, and treat you in a wonderful way. Jesus says in Luke 6, 32, you say, love, you, you, you love those who love you. Boy, you're real proud of yourself. I love people that love me. What credit is that to you? Even the worst of sinners can love people who love them. Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three things. But the greatest of these is love. Faith is big deal. Without faith, we can't be saved. That's a big deal. Hope, that means our eyes are on Jesus and we're living by faith. That's a big deal. But they both pale in comparison to love. We really need to think about this. And to say, the end of my day, if I'm going to grade myself, I'm going to judge myself, it's how loving of a person I was. And if that's not happening, I don't think you can produce it in yourself, maybe for a day or two or three. But a genuine change of heart from the heart, God, lead my life. I don't want to just have the Spirit in me. I want to have a life walking in the Spirit, genuinely praying for those who are persecuting me and mistreating me and hurting me 
praying and praying and praying for them genuinely that you'd bless them and for me to walk in a way that I can love the unlovable, even those who hate me. Interesting. Paul here says, the one thing that rejoices my heart most about the church in Ephesus is your love for all the saints. Isn't that true? But yet, a few years later, the Apostle John would be writing to the Ephesian church. And it really wasn't a letter from him. He was actually writing that letter directly from Jesus. So was Paul, though, right? <laughs> he was writing by the Holy Spirit. But in Revelation 2, love was the number one thing that wasn't in the church years later that was grieving the Lord. In Revelation 2, verse 2 through 5, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. Boy, they were in a college town. They were having to fight heresy after heresy. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, verse 4, Revelation 2, 4, nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left, that first love, that beautiful high priority of love. The church that once was had faith and it just showed in this shower, this waterfall of love, it's dried up. How do you get it back? He tells you in verse 5, number one, remember therefore from where you've fallen. Remember back when you had that joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. Secondly, repent. God, forgive me for getting my eyes on academics and doctrine and everybody's believing the right things and apologetics and, and prophecy and all these things that, yes, they're there and they're important, but if you don't have love, prophecy becomes a clanging symbol. Apologetics becomes an annoying trumpet blasting in your ear. All these things, as wonderful as they all are, they really become annoying if they don't have love. The whole point of this is love. Thirdly, do the first works. What's that mean? What's that mean in your life? Maybe it's routines of praying. Maybe it's the time you spent in the word. Maybe it's getting to church earlier to pray with somebody or staying afterwards and finding out people are encouraging them. Maybe it's making phone calls. Maybe it's, I don't know. Lord, give us wisdom how to get back to our first love. Remind us, Lord, what it was like when we walked in that love and let us be those people of love. And then once you get there, guys, you gotta keep yourself there. In Jude 1, 22, verse 20 and 20, Jude, verse 20 and 21, it says this, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. So building yourself up, praying in the Spirit, to me, that says praying in tongues. Maybe to you, that's groaning. Maybe that's just praying with a passion in your heart. 
But either way, there's this Holy Spirit-led prayer life that's keeping you passionately in love with God first. And then your love for God is spilling out into one another. In Matthew 22, verse 37 and 39, he says this, that all the law, all the Old Testament, you don't need to read it, all 613 laws come up to this one thing, have love for God and love for your neighbor. In verse 37, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Verse 39, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you. So get rid of all the other 613 commandments. There's only one commandment you need now. Love one another. Here it is. As I've loved you. You really can't do that if you're not in a relationship with Jesus. Oh, I need to love you as Jesus loves me, but I have never really had Jesus experientially know what it means for him to love me, to forgive me, to have patience and kindness for me. Well, in Ephesians 1.16, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul had a prayer life. Man, did he have a prayer life. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. That's my key. Paul, when do you get time to pray for all these people? I just never stop praying. That's how I do it. <laughs> he tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, sometimes I pray it with my mind. Sometimes I pray just with my spirit. My mind's unfruitful. In Romans 15.30, he encourages the church to step up their prayer life for him because he was going through some really tough stuff. And he says in Romans 15.30, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through what? The love of the Spirit. You want to love me? Pray for me. That you strive. The word agonizomai, we get our word to agonize, but then it's sin agonizomai, which means to with somebody else. You're agonizing together. Picture pushing up this giant boulder up the hill. And you're both pushing, agonizing together with me to prayers to God for me. Making mention. Sometimes Paul prays with purpose. Maybe praying through a list. And other times he's just praying as God brings people to mind. Maybe when he wakes up in the middle of the night. Maybe it's just while he's going for a walk. Maybe in the middle of a conversation. God brings something to mind. He intercedes as God brings them to mind. Before I go on talking about Paul's prayer, I need to point out to you the contrast of what we're not going to see in this prayer. So often when we go to church prayer meetings, they look in such and such a way. And then you compare that to Paul's prayer and how he teaches to pray. And they're not similar at all. So we often sort of walk away feeling like, man, it wasn't really worth going to the prayer meeting. I don't think I'll go next week. Or you think, oh, I'll go to the prayer meeting, but then, I don't know. It doesn't seem to do that much. It doesn't seem like that many prayers are answered. It doesn't seem like, you know, it's worth my effort to take the drive, to go in, to say hi to people, to pray for an hour together. I'll just, I'll just go for a walk and pray. 
And often we, we feel a powerlessness in prayer. We, we feel a, a waffling, whether it was really worth it or not. And this is why I think is the case. Our prayer life looks very different than the prayers the Bible teaches us on how to pray. It's interesting. Here's what Paul doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray. He doesn't say, I'm praying for you. Material needs, marital needs, physical ailments, material financial needs. It doesn't sound like a shopping list. God, we need this and we need help here and we need this marriage and these kids and these people and that situation at work. And, and by the way, you know, I got some bills to pay and I need you to take care of that one by two o'clock on Thursday. Really, he doesn't mention earth stuff. You don't hear him talking about relational earth type of things. The priority often in our prayers, the passion in our prayers are for these relational and earthly things. Jesus taught us to pray. He's, we first see, start praising. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That was the first priority. The second priority was thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I praise you, Father. Oh, Father, you're holy, you're righteous. I'm going to be with you very, very soon. Eyes on the Lord, thinking on things in heaven. Secondly, Lord, before I quickly come to you, I want all your kingdom stuff in my life. I want to say every word. I want to witness to everybody. I want to love everybody. I want to pray all the prayers I need to pray. I want to read all the Bible verses I need to read because soon I'm going to be in heaven with you and none of that will matter then. It only matters now in this little parentheses of time. <coughs> Got a dry spot in my throat. Sorry about that. There's a truth here we need to catch. When we are right with God in his will, what we are seeking is his kingdom first. Matthew 6:33, our prayer times about seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Secondly, all the earth stuff will happen. Whatever you need to eat and drink and wear. God says, as we seek him first in his kingdom and his righteousness, all this earth stuff, whether it's a lot or a little, it's, he knows what's best. It'll get sorted out. You don't really need to make that the passion. You don't really need to make that the top priority. You don't need to make that your, your heart's passionate prayer time. More money, more health, better relationships. Guys, look at the Apostle Paul. When he was in prison, the majority of all the churches he started badmouthed him, saying that God was judging him for his gospel of grace. It was warped and wasn't right, needed to have more Jewish law in it. And God put Paul in prison to punish him. Why he was in prison? He, he didn't have a lot of friends. The very end of his life, even Timothy was distancing himself from Paul. When Paul finally, after years, stood before Nero, everybody had left him. 
Nobody wanted to be in the courtroom supporting Paul on the day when he actually stood before Nero. Hey, Paul, where are your supporters? They had hundreds of thousands of people following your gospel, and not one person's here. Jesus, a man acquainted with grief and sorrow, one of the sorrows he had evidently was his father, according to the flesh, and, or excuse me, his stepdad, so to speak, if you would. Mary's husband, Joseph, died. But yet there's a lot of brothers and sisters, many of them. And Jesus, no doubt, had, as the oldest brother, the responsibility of helping out. But we find in John chapter 6 that all his brothers not, not only did not believe in him, they hated him. They were trying to convince him to show himself openly, knowing that there was a group of guys waiting to kill him as soon as he showed up. His own brothers were wanting him dead. And that's somebody who lived perfectly in every way. We can't sit around and hope that every relationship on earth is going to get healed and right before we go to be with the Lord. We're with the Lord. All will be right then. <laughs> but right now, a more mature praying in God's will, Paul teaches us here, is to say, get our vertical things going. Let's come to pray vertically. God, we love you. We worship you. Your kingdom come. Lord, give us power for your words. Help us to pray your prayers. Help us to live in a way that gives light to men so we can do all the good works we can do here to glorify you before we quickly leave this body and are with you in heaven. And then also the horizontal things. Sure, pray for relationships. Pray for earth things, but don't make that the passion of the prayer time. Verse 17, he says in Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, important last words here, in the knowledge of him. My Pentecostal friends read that going, pray that you get the spirit of wisdom revelation. Oh, and shall I, you know, and then they start speaking in tongues. Oh, give me revelation, God. That's not what's going on here. He didn't say pray for a Pentecostal moment in your prayer time. He said, pray that you have deeper spiritual insights into Jesus. First of all, he says something that's sort of startling to a lot of people. He said, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus, I thought he was God. He needs God? How, how is it that Jesus, who is God, calls his Father God? Well, is that incorrect? Doesn't the Father call Jesus God? <laughs> and isn't the Spirit also called God? And that's true. We have one God. There's, the Lord our God is one Lord but he's in three persons, God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit called Jesus God or the Father God, that would be true. If the Father called Jesus God and the Holy Spirit God, that would be true. And if Jesus called the Father God and the Holy Spirit God, that would also be true. There's nothing startling here. This is just the Trinity. It's a real thing. It's not, it's not something that we talk about and say, man, it's sort of illogical. I don't really understand it. Well, if we, can please, if we could completely understand God, God wouldn't be infinite. Or we would be infinite, right? 
I mean, if the finite can completely explain the infinite, then we're not explaining the infinite, or we are infinite, right? So the fact that we as finite beings would have a hard time saying, I really can't explain that about God because he's infinite. That would make sense, right? A matter of fact, if that doesn't happen, you're, something's wrong upstairs with you. Jesus, in Matthew 27, on the cross in verse 46, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After the resurrection, when Mary saw him after the resurrection, was holding on to him, he said, hold on here, don't quit clinging to me. I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. This is just a true statement. Why Jesus was in 100% human flesh, he was an example pointing to his father. The reason I died on the cross is so I could be the door that you could go to the Father. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And now this has happened. I want you to understand this. And then he says about the Father next is he's the Father of glory. So Jesus taught us to pray this way, didn't he? Pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Our Father, Jesus wants us to pray to the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Through Jesus, we end by saying, in Jesus' name. And so he says, as we go to our Father, art in heaven, holy be thy name. He's now adding to it saying, glory is our God. The word glory, what does that mean? We really got to go back to the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the word kabod is the word weightiness. And it's referring it to it in a physical sense. There's just a substance, you know. If I had a marshmallow here and I had an iron ball here, the marshmallow would be Ichabod, without glory, without weightiness. And then the iron ball would be Kabod, with weightiness. They're the same size. The iron ball and the big, mushroom, the big marshmallow are the same size. One is Kabod, one is not Kabod, okay? Ichabod, Ichabod Crane. That's another story. Anyway, um, this is where the people got that when they saw the glory of God on the mountain and they spoke and they're like, Moses, don't, don't let God talk to us anymore. You talk to you and you tell us, oh, it's too scary. Moses, when he was with God, getting the, the law came down, his face shone. And they couldn't look upon him because the weightiness of what Moses had experienced being with God. The tabernacle was dedicated. The priest had to run out. The tabernacle, the glory came in. The temple, the glory came in. People had to flee for their lives. Nadab and Abihu, when the tabernacle was um, being dedicated, they gave us incense that God did not require and they were smote. They became ash because they didn't honor God. They dishonored him. Whew. Let's come to God. You know, I know the Muslims, Hindus, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, yuck, 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 yuck. The Eastern religions, yuck, 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 yuck. Uh, yeah, oh, they look so pious though. They look so sincere. 
They, 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 they look so orderly. They look so dedicated. They spend so many hours at it. Guys, Satan is in this world. He, he, he wants you to believe in cars. He wants you to believe in doorknobs. He'll let you believe in anything as long as you don't give glory to God. Isn't that true? He doesn't want you to put weightiness in God's word. He doesn't want you to put weightiness in church right now. He doesn't want you to put weightiness in singing to him. He doesn't want you to put weightiness into talking to one another about what God spoke to you today afterwards or what God's been speaking to you through the word this week. He doesn't want there to be weightiness when the women get together or when the men get together for Bible study. He doesn't, he wants weightiness to be in movies at Netflix, <laughs> weightiness to be in football. So if I'm a fool at the football game, lifting my hands and shouting and clapping and dancing, that's okay. Because you're giving glory to something that deserves weight, football. But if you're at church lifting your hands and clapping and showing emotion and giving glory to God, you look stupid. Prayer meetings are for old ladies and little kids. Church is for weak-minded people that don't understand that the real truth is there's a bunch of atheists, but if they believe that, they're so simple-minded, they'll, they'll flare out, you know, so... Leave those bunch of ignorant people alone. This, this 2% of real smart people know there is no God. Glory in anything and everything but in God. Guys, we got to rip that shell off us. Get that junk off of us. Wash ourselves in the water of the word and come. And when we come, we realize whatever we pray, God hears us, even if it's the meditation of your heart, and he will do it. Where two or three get together on this earth, a mountain can be removed and cast into the sea. Let me ask you, is part of the reason we don't see answers to prayer because we're really not coming in faith, and it's evident because when we spend time in prayer, they're not, we're not giving glory to God the Father we're not talking to a God who's infinite and all-powerful and all-knowing. Who You're his child. He loves you. And he wants to give you every desire of your heart. If we come to God believing he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can I talk enough about glory this morning? I don't think so. I think we should just have a whole sermon on glory, right? But I think we get it now. Guys, I rejoice. The most important things happening, love is flowing through your life. And I know how it got there from the Holy Spirit. I know how the Holy Spirit got there because you believed on Jesus, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and your eyes are steadfast upon him. And that is letting the love flow out of your life to one another. And that's really it. That's it. That's what Jesus wants the whole world to see when they come to church is a love for one another. And this love is the hallmark that 
I am in the midst of them. This is the ultimate manifestation of me, Jesus, and of my church, my body, is that love. So when you come to prayer, our Father, the one who Jesus bled and died and hung on a cross to be the door that we might enter through that door and appear before you righteous and holy and pure. And then very soon we're going to be face to face with you in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Even if I live another hundred years, it's a vapor of time. And today is all I can think about because life goes by so quickly. I can't think about yesterday. I can't think about tomorrow. But today, Lord, let me say all. Let me touch all. Let me hug all. Let me love all. Let me tell as many people as possible you love them. Let me ask as many as possible, do they know how to be in contact with you, Father, through your Son? Lord, make me a light into the world. Forgive me for putting that light under the bed because I'm ashamed of it. But Lord, help me not to be ashamed, but courageous and bold and brave and and be a light and a witness and love, love, love. And at the end of the day, when I put my head on the bed, I said all, I touched all, I hugged all, I did all. I've been all today that you wanted me to be. And not that I only bear 20-fold or 60-fold, but 100-fold for your glory. Good night, Lord. Help me pray even in my sleep. Speak to me. I'm an old man now. Give me dreams. And awaken tomorrow to do it again. Man, Father, be glorified. I know all things are possible to him who believes. Give me wisdom now and revelation to see Jesus clear. I think Paul says this later in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 very, very clearly. I don't think he can say it clearer than this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Guys, verse 6, that's a word for our country today. Verse 6, think about our country. We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. We're going to talk about this next week. All things are under Jesus' feet. I'm excited about it. I I have it ready. I wanted to teach it today. I just thought you didn't want to be here for three hours. So we'll save it for next week. Verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, in a hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Pilate, Herod, they were all feeling it like, ah, don't know if we should be going through with this. They, they, They sort of understood this shouldn't be happening. But they went ahead and went through with it. But for us who are spiritual, as it's been written, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God's prepared for those who love him. What a wonderful verse that is, isn't it? Verse 10, but God has revealed them through to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? That's what a psychologist does, tries to get you to get in touch with the truth about yourself. It's helpful on an earth sense, but we want the spirit and revelation not about ourselves, but about Jesus. So 
a man can know about himself that can be healing, that can be helpful in a soulish sense, not a spiritual sense, but a soulish sense. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God who lives in us, guys. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. And we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak, not in words with man's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Literally in the Greek, it says spiritual, spiritual. So you can put in there a number of ways of translating it. It's literally comparing spiritual to spiritual. God's infinite spirit lives in us. And God of glory wants to reveal to us all things. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is even entered in the heart. The man has even thought the thought of things that God is willing to reveal to us. A spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. These things we also speak, spiritual to spiritual. Verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Nor can we and he know them because they're spiritually, they're spiritually discerned things. They, they're, they're soulish and earthly, human. They're not, they're not, they don't have spiritual discernment. They're not born again. God's spirit doesn't live in them. But he who is spiritual judges all things or discerns all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged or discerned correctly by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he has instructed him? But we have the mind of Christ. Amen. The word knowledge there is the word gnosko, but it's actually before gnosko, epigonosko. So gnosko means to know by experiential things. So I can know two plus two is four. That's a knowledge thing. But experience is that first love. That first, remember that first girl, first guy that you liked in school? That experience, that puppy love? That's experiential. So Christ wants to have this experiential understanding of faith, of hope, of love, of grace, of mercy, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness. Jesus wants us to know to the degree of his love for us. He wants to understand what grace is to him and that grace would be the same to us. It's infinite, isn't it? His mercy is infinite. He wants to fill our hearts with that kind of love and mercy and kindness. And he wants us to epigonosco. Epi is above and beyond. God wants us to experience above and beyond what anybody has ever experienced it before. Isn't that cool? I mean, I love reading that story. Enoch walked with God and he was not. He disappeared. Somebody want to explain that? I mean, that should be at least a chapter. Don't, don't just give me a couple of verses and, and make me go, that's amazing, I want to hear more. Enoch tapped into something that's, that we've never seen tapped in again, right? He had a spiritual insight into God and he just literally stepped right into the spiritual realm. Elijah was caught up in a fiery chariot into heaven. Wow. The apostles had the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Wow. God has experiences for us. Stories that we can tell of his spirit speaking into our life. 
Some years back, I was going to Idaho and I was speaking at a men's conference out in the middle of Idaho. I don't know where I was. I flew into Boise and ended up down in Nampa and the pastor there was driving me. He had a big van. It was all covered in the back and I was in the very back and had a desk. It was a really nice van, but couldn't see outside. And we were driving, just driving. It was a peak out. It was just fields, farmland as far as the eye could see. We were driving and driving. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just said, stop. And I yelled, one of my elders, Carlos, there, said, Carlos, stop. Stop right now. And they, thought, they both thought I was car sick, so they stopped quickly. <laughs> there was just no house. It was all farmland, but we stopped right in front of a house. We opened the door, and a lady who used to go to our church, who had moved to Idaho, I had left touch with her years earlier, comes walking down the steps. Her husband had divorced her. She was going through a hard time, crying out to God. And she's like, Brian, what are you doing here? And I'm like, yeah, it's the Lord, man. <laughs> Ministered to her about 45 minutes, got back in the van, and off we went. I, I can tell you numerous stories. There's just, there's just no other explanation than God's spirit speaking to my spirit and revealing like, oh, there's so much. Those moments when we are walking in the spirit and so sweet, we want to connect those moments with more moments, with more moments, with more moments until like Enoch, we walked with God and we're not. Amen. That'd be great. Verse 18, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Oh, God, open our eyes. Almost all the modern translations translate it this way. Open the eyes of our heart. I like that. Is there something else I can help with? No. Um, I just got this for Christmas, and uh, obviously they are listening. That's our hope. The Facebook and Twitter and all these guys get saved. They hear all these sermons. And uh, Siri will start off going, praise the Lord, Brian, what can I do for you? And uh, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Oh, I love that. To get it out of our head. Grace, faith, hope, love. Get it into our hearts. And then God's spirit speaking to our spirit beyond words. Can't explain what it is, but God's love is shed abroad. I can't even explain it. But there's a mercy, there's a kindness, there's a prayer life. There's a sensitivity to God's spirit living in me, wanting to love him and serve him and love others. God, I want to walk holy and pure and righteous and be a vessel sanctified for your use. God, give me the ability, even in this weak, stinking human flesh and all of its weakness and sins, to walk in a manner worthy of you. God can do that. He can enlighten our hearts. And then that we would know the hope of his calling. What do we know about his calling? He chose us before the foundation of the world. We find out in, in Ephesians 1.4, in 2 Timothy 1.9, we find out that our calling was a holy calling according to his purpose and grace. In Galatians 1.15, we find out that he called us through or because of his grace wasn't our good works, it was his grace. We find out in 1 Peter 2, 9 that he called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. Is that true or not? Oh my goodness. And what about our hope? 
He wants us to have this insight into our calling. He wants to have this insight into our hope. We find in Titus 2 in Titus 2:13, it's a blessed hope. In 1 Peter 1:3, it's a living hope. In Hebrews 6:19, it's a sure and steadfast hope. And that God's calling of us and his hope in us should give us great confidence and assurance. The next thing he wants us to know is what are the riches of the glory. Now, notice this, not our inheritance. That was talked about earlier in Ephesians, but his inheritance in the saints. And we end here this morning with this final phrase. God wants us to know what a prize we are to him. Do you remember that story Jesus taught in Matthew 13, 44? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man, which a man found and he re-hid it. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells everything he has to buy the field. And people are going, that's a ridiculous price. That's way too much. Everything you have, you've liquidated. You're homeless and you're buying that field. But he knows there's a treasure in that field. We're looking at God going, Jesus died for me? That wasn't a very good buy. (laughs) I'm sinful. I am weak. There's no good thing that dwells in me. Why would he give his own son to die for me? Guys, there's a treasure. He wouldn't have died unless he knew the treasure that's in you. In Matthew 13, he goes on in verse 45 and 46 saying, it's, here's another one. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking a beautiful pearl, a pearl above all pearls. He finds it. Again, he sells everything he has and he buys that one pearl of great price. In Matthew 18, he says again, we're like a bunch of sheep, but what does the Lord do when one sheep is gone? People don't understand. They're like, hey, you need to stay home. You need to look at the 99 sheep. You need to take care of them. Be happy you have 99. That's an awesome thing. You just lost one. It happens every once in a while. Don't don't sweat over it. But he goes out and he looks and he looks until he finds that one. And he rejoices more over the one sheep that's repented and back in the fold than all over all the 99 Guys, Satan wants you to think you're worthless. Your own body, your own mind, the world around us wants to see us as, yeah, you're worth something. Yeah, you're a human being. You're a human life. Yeah, you're, no, you're a treasure. In God's mind, you're his prize. You are the present on Christmas morning that he gets to unwrap. You are the treasure. We're going to go to heaven and we're going to, Sense that love. God's going to grab us. Just, oh, Brian, I love you so much. I'm so glad you're here in heaven. I got, I got this beautiful mansion for you. I got, you're all, oh, look at all the angels. I'm so glad you're here. And you're going to go, I know you tolerated me. I know you loved me because you're God of love. I didn't know you liked me. I don't like me. I, I figured you'd put up with me because you're my dad. You got to put up with me. You're for my father. No, you're my treasure. I like you. <laughs> I enjoy you. You are precious to me. Do you, do you understand why this is so important? 
It's a part of faith and hope. We love God after we understand his love for us. Do we get it? And now we go into the world and we realize me telling this guy Jesus loves him, this is, a sin, this is the most important thing I'm doing today, this year. Telling you God loves you and he wants you to have eternal life. Do we understand what a treasure this is to God? That if God is saying to you today, this is the most important thing, you would open your mouth, or you'd hand this track, or you would share a Bible verse God shared with you this morning, that we would understand that we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. God has a treasure in people that he's calling to himself. Be a part of that work and let God rejoice in the work that he's doing through you. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to draw near to you. Lord, teach us to be a people of God after your own heart who do all your will. Yes, in meeting on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, other kinds of discipleship studies. But Lord, that more than that, God, we would just understand the joy you have in us and that would be the spirit we come in prayer. We'd understand who we are in Christ, that we are your child, that we can speak to a mountain, be uprooted, cast into the sea, that when we get together and pray, whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. You've got our backs. You're agreeing with us that we are your kids. And as your word abides in us, we can ask whatever we will. And you will do it, that our joy is full, that your power is in us exactly the way it worked in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask for more in our life personally. We ask for more in our church personally. We ask that you do a greater and a greater work. Heal us, Lord. Help us, Lord. If there's any here today, just believe on him. That's it. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. You're saved. That's it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving these people here today who believed. Thank you for those who, through the website and the social media today, are hearing this message. And those who will hear the message on YouTube in weeks to come, we rejoice in their salvation. In Jesus' name.